Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today on my program, I'll be interviewing Tony Fernandez from South Florida. Tony was born and raised in New York. He was converted as a junior in high school in the Hudson Valley region of the New York Church of Christ. He moved to South Florida after his first semester of college. He shares that he wasn't doing well spiritually at that time. After moving to South Florida, he was invited on a Hope Youth Corps to Brazil, where he said his life was changed forever. He repented, he reconciled to God, and shortly after was asked to go into the full-time ministry serving youth and family ministries. He got married to his wife, Cassandra, who he had been dating and uh, prior to that. They served together in the youth ministry and then the campus ministry. And after about six years of ministry, they, they realized that there were very, very few millennials in their church. And so they decided to launch a project, and they called it the Millennial Initiative. Their dream was to save their generation. God's moved in amazing ways. They've seen a load of young people baptized, and Tony shared that over 200 people have been baptized in that age range. After two years, the evangelist at the church he was leading, at the church he's a part of, moved to Edinburgh, Scotland, and he and his wife, Cassandra, were asked to lead the church in Broward County at the end of 2016. Since then, God has continued to grow their church in tremendous ways. If you're listening today, thank you for joining me. I look forward to having Tony on the program. Tony, welcome to the Rob Skinner Podcast. Hey, it's great to be on, and um, I've listened to some of the podcasts. I'm a fan. <laughs> thank you. Well, Tony, I've, I shared about you in the introduction. How'd you become a Christian? You must have been a kingdom kid. Yeah, so my dad became a disciple when I was nine or ten years old. Um, uh, actually, the story is pretty ridiculous. He was uh, he came to a bring your neighbor day that was outside in the park. He had uh, been uh, pretty much against uh, my mom coming to church, and so he came. Uh, he um, he told me that to sit with him in the front row. We sat in the front row. He told me I remember that he was going to heckle the preacher. Uh, I didn't even know what that meant. Uh, but anyway, he he listened. He he did not get heckled by the preacher. Uh, rather, he did not heckle the preacher, but the spirit of God heckled him. Uh, and so, basically, at the end of the sermon, um, Sheridan Wright was preaching. Um, and uh, talked a little bit about the word of God being sharper than a double-edged sword and just open your heart and let it hit you. My dad got up after the service, uh, walked over to a dumpster um, and started crying. I went over to him and I uh, said, what's wrong, daddy? He said, daddy's been a bad man. Uh, two weeks later, he was baptized. And so uh, that was him. He trying to change the legacy of my family forever. Um, and then uh, shortly thereafter, yeah, I studied the Bible and, and um, in high school, kind of on and off the whole kind of kingdom kid thing. And, uh, and eventually I became a disciple the first day of my junior year of high school. Wow. What an awesome story. That is just crazy. Pretty now, amazing. Now, Tony, how old are you? I am 31. Okay. So you're just getting started. You haven't, even, right. you haven't even reached your prime yet, yet you're That's doing right, yeah. amazing things. That's great. I'm about to hit it. Yeah, here it is. <laughs> now we've got listeners around the, around the world that really don't know the geography uh, that well. And I don't even know it that well. Can you tell me, you're from Broward County, Broward County, South Florida. What is that? What, where are we talking? <laughs> sure, yeah. So Miami, um, we are about from the county line, about 30 minutes from the county line, maybe even less than that. Um, especially with COVID, no traffic or even less than that. So, um, yeah, we're super close to Miami. So there are three counties in South Florida that, that pretty much make up the metropolitan area. Uh, Miami-Dade County, Broward County, and Palm Beach County. Um, most people have heard of West Palm Beach. Um, I am not there. Most people have heard of Miami. I am not there. I am in Broward County. <laughs> uh, our, big, our big city is Fort Lauderdale. You probably heard of that. Okay, Fort Lauderdale. Okay, right around two million people live in Broward County. Right. I saw that. it's a big county, one of the biggest counties in the in the country. Yeah. So you got a lot of people to reach out to. Certainly do. Okay. And now. What what brought you? You're you're up in New York. You became a Christian up there. Why'd you ever go to Florida? Why'd you go south of Florida? 
So when, when I was a senior in high school, um, my parents were floating the idea of moving down to Florida. It sort of had been a dream for a long time, but, but saying they were really going to make the move. So I think it was once I graduated high school, my dad um, moved down to, um, maybe even moved down before that, but regardless, my, my parents moved down to South Florida. So I spent, um, they t- basically said, you can come with us or you can stay up here. And so they had a house up there. So I just stayed in the house and um, started going to school and, and trying to figure out what was next for my life. And um, really, quickly thereafter I just took a t- terrible turn for the worst um, just uh, you know first semester of high school it's almost like you need a conversion and then you need a reconversion and I, right. I didn't I didn't really go through my reconversion at that point and that's not a biblical idea it's just a ph- philosophical idea right. um, but but I just needed to figure out okay what it meant for me to be on my own um, and so I didn't do very well on my own um, so my parents said hey if you come down to South Florida we will We'll kind of start from square one. You can live in the house. We'll pay for your school. Um, you can kind of get your yourself together. And um, and I think one of the the stipulations they left me with was that I needed to go to church if I came back down. <laughs> okay, um, that's what I ended up doing. Okay, so you finished out a couple years as a disciple, and then your parents moved away, and then you went to one year of, of college on your own and just basically tanked. Exactly. Yeah. Wouldn't it, it's not even a year of college. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. like, uh, like, uh, it was, it was pretty, yeah, it was pretty terrible. So yeah, I just tanked, moved down to South Florida, um, just to, just to figure out how to land on my feet. Um, okay. what was going on? I mean, what, what, what was happening to you spiritually? You know, I think the thing that I was really, um, that I'm aware of now that I wasn't aware of then was that I had a, um, an obligation based faith, which was, um, I'm obligated to my parents. I'm obligated to the church. I'm obligated to my discipler. I'm obligated to, um, to, to, to God in sort of a lesser sense. Um, but I didn't have a second Corinthians chapter five, a love that compels me. Wow. Um, what I had a little bit was if you, there's a, there's a really interesting story. I think it's in, um, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's in Leviticus, but, but it, it talks about like, if, uh, if a slave, um, leaves his master, he says, if he wants to rejoin, he needs to have his ear pierced. And if he loves his master, he will come back and join the family, and and that was my issue. Is that I was I felt like Christianity was slavery, but not that slavery I loved. Um, and so um, <laughs> okay. that that just like I I certainly gave up lots. I, I entered the kingdom, um, but for me, I just I just didn't capture the concept of doing this because it was it was what I loved. Wow. Well, I have a feeling there's a, probably a few people listening. They're going that. That describes where I'm at right now, spiritually. Let, let's come back to that. You you mentioned that you went to Brazil, so you came down to South Florida, then you went to Brazil on some type of a hope service project, and it really helped you. Can, it, can you describe what happened? Totally, yeah. So I had, um, when, I, when I got into the church um, down in South Florida, um, I, I started... Uh, I became friends with a guy named Joseph Porter. Joseph Porter, um, to this day, is, is still, even though we don't talk as often, is still a great friend of mine. Um, John Porter is his dad, and John Porter used to lead the church where I was at. Um, and so John, um, Joseph, and I became great friends, and um, he was way smart, just a little bit younger than I was, but just like, whoa. Um, and I was so impressed with him. And and so eventually, you know, being that I was over the house, often um, Barbara and John would take trips down to Brazil um, pretty regularly, but about a year, they, uh, once a year, they would lead a Hope Youth Corps. And so um, they said, hey, look, we've, we found some money for you. You know, um, they knew I wasn't doing well spiritually. I was dating outside the church, all that sort of thing. And, and they were like, look, we, we'll bring you down to Brazil um, if you'd be willing to go for, I think it was a week and a half or two weeks or something like that. And so that's how I made my way down. Okay. Okay. But something must have happened there. Something must have changed. Is that when you experienced what you mentioned before as a second conversion? Yeah, I think, I think what happened is that I went down and um, to Brazil and we saw some, some extreme poverty um, and people and church disciples that had not blamed the world for their suffering. Um, but I decided, or not blame God for their suffering, but I decided that, look, the world is, you know, uh, just a terrible place mm-hmm. <laughs> that the world is evil and, 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 um, and there's malevolence everywhere. And, and there's, 
and but it's but I have a hope in Jesus. And and that thought that I could I could make a feast for everyone, even though I have I don't even know where my next meal is gonna come, <laughs> um, because I have hope in Jesus. It like just made me go, what wait, 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 wait. Like this is not the same thing as what I was experiencing in my own life. And like it began to go, I thought I, I had encapsulized what Christianity meant. And when I saw them, I realized I was missing something. Wow. Um, and so, you know, through lots of talks, through, through prayer that was there, through, through meeting and through confessing sin, uh, I kind of came to, to, to grips that I, I really wanted to reconcile my relationship with God. Wow. How, how'd you do it? Like, how did you... Like, how'd you get out of it? Yeah. Yes, sure. So I think, I think the first thing was I needed to be really honest about where I was. Um, and, and not just honest about my sin, but honest about my fears and, um, honest about, about where I was in terms of my own confidence. Um, honest that, that I didn't believe that, that I thought God could, could love me. Um, I didn't, I didn't believe that I thought that God would still have his arm reach out for me. I needed to be honest about those things that even though I understood, um, the concept of, of the prodigal son, I didn't, I didn't know that if I ran home that God and the church would go with open arms that, um, so I needed to be honest with that so that people could actually help me. I've realized this a lot being in the ministry that a lot of times, um, the information that we give the people that are trying to help us is incomplete. And so the, the solutions that they give, um, are incomplete and that's not to the fault of the disciple or, but that's the fault of the person who's, who's mm. trying to expose them themselves. They're only exposing a little bit of the, of the room. And so you can't really clean the whole room when you only see a little piece of it. So wow. I think I, I started getting to a place where I was just going to be exposed. I wanted to be totally, totally honest. It's probably the first time in my whole life, um, besides when I first became a Christian, but so much sin had been piled up since then, but where I'd just been honest, just really honest. Wow. So did that all happen in two weeks in Brazil? I think what happened there was the, Brazil was the catalyst for the change. Okay. Okay. Um, and so my heart had begun to, to shift. Um, and so that happened over the next, I would say, two or three months. Um, my, my girlfriend at the time actually studied the Bible, became a disciple. Um, she broke up with me, which was fantastic. Uh, so that was like sort of like the straw that broke the camel's back, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, after she, she broke up with me, I, I really kind of turned uh, my life over. Wow. Okay. That's, yeah. that's great. You know, I think there's a lot of people that, and I think this is such a huge issue, Tony, like, I mean, there's one thing to know the gospel. There's one thing, you know, you sing the hymns every Sunday and things like that. But to to really internalize the message, the gospel, gospel, to really feel it, that's like something entirely different. And I totally agree with you. I feel like everyone, most everyone needs to go through some type of a second conversion or, or just deepening or just getting. I know for me, I went through a time of testing as a young Christian where almost walked away was right there on the brink and God just pulled me back and totally changed my life because you're right. It just, uh, there's so much impure motives, impure motivation that goes on. And to get that kind of feeling where you go, man, I am really loved here. God, and really feel it and really know it in your mind. Like what Paul shares about, may the eyes of your, may the eyes of your heart be opened. I mean, it's huge. Any tips? You you said you said being totally open. That's that's a great one. Just telling the real story, not just the sanitized version of your life. That's good. Anything else you'd you'd help or offer someone who's listening is like, man, I really want to go deeper in my relationship with God. Yeah, I think right now, um, in the middle of COVID nineteen, we have such an opportunity to be changed, mm -hmm. um, to reflect and to try to be, be different. And I, I think we um, need to be cautious that we don't use this time to just um, indulge in Netflix and, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, go on social media and get into strange debates, but, but instead we, we try to be changed. And so um, one of the methods that I've, that I've, that I've done over the course of my Christianity is I love to journal. I love to write down what it is that's going on in my heart. Mm. Um, and as I'm writing things down, I, I begin to go, okay, this is not, where I think God 
would have me go. Um, and when I identify one of those things, I take the day and I go pray. Mm. I go out and I, 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 I drive to the beach or I drive to this, you know, we have this thing called Vista View Park, which is like this high lookout area. And I just, I look out and I pray and I, I basically take the situation that I'm dealing with to God. I, I've often realized that my life when I'm trying to adjust everything in life, nothing is adjusted. Mm. But when I can pinpoint the thing, mm-hmm. ah, you know, right now, the other day I, I went through one of these things where I just was not happy. Mm-hmm. Why are you not happy? Right. Like, what about your, what's wrong? Like, <laughs> what's, what's, why are you downcast on my soul? You right. know, like, exactly. to myself, sure. like, come on, what's going on? So I, I realized that I was hoping for something that, that hadn't happened. And I'm like, that's making me discouraged and that discouragement. And so I'm like, okay, let's, that thing that did not happen, let's take that to God. Let's get away. Let's take a couple of days. Let's pray. Let's consider. And, and I, and I, I advocate for our staff members all to do that. You got something in your heart, you go away. I don't care what you have doing it because we need you healthy. So um, yeah, that's what I would suggest is, is journal out some things. When you identify something that really is the issue, then take that specific issue, not everything in your life, but take that issue to God and really wrestle with him. Um, And then when you're, then when you kind of deal with it, you can come back. That's a great nugget. That's an awesome takeaway. Thank you. That's great. Now, you know, that that's great advice for people that aren't at their peak spiritually, and we all get there, that's for sure. Um, you, you mentioned that your your dating relationship really changed. You're dating outside the kingdom. Now, where did Cassandra come into the picture? So I started dating her while I was in school um, at a small school called Broward College, and um, we were we were dating, and basically she was the one that broke up with me. Um, okay. So then about six months later, uh, we got back together, and then about six months after that, we got engaged, and then um, and then we were married. Wow. Thereafter. So she must have seen something different about you when you came back at it. Well, you know, I think, I think there was a combination of her seeing something different in me and her just realizing that the scriptures demanded more uh, <laughs> than, than what I was. Uh, and so like she had grown up being very religious um, and it kind of like the typical story, um, but, but had just not ever identified her sin or really dealt with it. And so um, I think when, when she realized, man, you got a, you got a problem, dude. Uh, and I want to get right with God. And if you want to, and I remember the conversation, she basically was like, I want to get right with God. And if um, you don't want to do it, that's, that's fine. Like you, you, we, we don't get a chance to be together, you know? And so I'm like, and so that's adding on to the, the nature of that whole situation that happened in Brazil, which is, again, this is within months. Um, And so, yeah. Um, So we, we separated then uh, shortly thereafter we got back together. Wow. Was it tough for you to surrender that relationship? Just give it up? You know, I don't, I don't think that I had it within me to surrender it. And I think God took it away, Mm. um, which is, um, I I once heard of like an old preacher thought. It was, uh, the only thing worse than waiting on God is wishing that you had. Um, and I think, (laughs) I think similar to that, like the only thing worse than not giving up something that you know you need to is God snatching it from you. Uh, And that's really what happened. (laughs) You know, I I can't even be, be, um, uh, yeah, I can't with good conscience say, you know, and I, I was able to give it up, you know, I wasn't, (laughs) you know, and that was, he needed to. So at the time you just thought we're never getting back together. It's just not going to happen. It's all over. You never saw, you never foresaw that you'd get back together. Yeah, I certainly had hope that yeah. we would get back together, but but I didn't I didn't see a pathway forward um, that that involved um, that looked like the other pathway forward. And I'm I'm kind of a I don't know. The more you get to know me, the more I like I like things in order. I like to think through things. I like to be a macro guy and uh, right. kind of have my life planned out. And sure. and sure. Uh, that was not. That was not what it was in the cards. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's At least that's not that what I thought. Now, listen, um, there's, there's people listening that, that I think, you know, this, this whole concept of dating, Christian dating, is challenging. And sure. people are sitting in their churches going, man, I just, I don't see anybody I really like. Or, you know, I used to be dating someone that I was crazy about, totally in love with, but I gave them up for my relationship with God. But God hasn't come through. And mm-hmm. they're feeling, having some feelings toward God, like, hey, you know, what what are you going to do for me here? You know, you got to come through. And, and it causes a lot of stress and pressure. Any advice to those who are looking for Mr. or Mrs. Wright in the kingdom of God? 
Yeah, I totally empathize and sympathize for people who are going through that. I'm, um, man, it's so it's so painful. Um, it's so painful to have dreams of being married and feeling like God has not come through. And I think there are, there are two things. Like one is, one is that um, I I don't know if I can speak from a place of it's hard to speak to this issue because um, most of the time married folks are speaking to this issue. Uh, <laughs> right. And right. It's hard to say, wow, you know, I'm, I'm with you when I'm not really with you um, because I'm not, I'm not going through it. And so I, I it's hard for me to even give um, advice as a friend in those situations, but, but I can give advice as a, as a kind of a, a minister of the gospel. The first thing is that being single is being complete. Um, it's, it is, you know, you, cause you're, you're with God and that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's still complete. Um, so, so, all right. And then the second thing is you should be working on yourself, getting yourself prepared, like become the person that you're looking for, you know, or become the person that the person who's looking for is, is looking for, you know, it's that right. whole Andy Stanley thing. Exactly. Um, like, like you should be working on yourself. Okay. Like, uh, am I, am I dealing with pornography issues? I, I, let me handle that. Let me, let me fix that before I get into a, a relationship. Am I dealing with, with my own pride and with relationships with my mom and dad? Let me, let me deal with some of those things right. so that when God does have someone ready, that, that, that you're ready to really step into those things. Cause I think often people make commitments that they, they want to make with their words, but they really aren't just able to do it. They just, they, they haven't done the work to be married. Um, and so that's one thing. The second thing is I, I always encourage our brothers here to be hunters, um, to go after it. Like, let's go. Like, if you like somebody, then go after it. Like, right. let me, let me hear who you're going after, who you're taking <laughs> dates. Like, like, what are you doing? I'm only going to call them, you know, once every four weeks because I want to keep boundaries. I'm like, bro, you need to work on your game. You know? right, <laughs> like, right. So, so I encourage the brothers to be hunters, to go after it. Um, and I think a sister can be a quiet hunter. You know, you can right. figure out ways to, to right. kind of do that too. But, but, um, but those two things, you, you have to learn to be content and work on yourself. And then also if you're, um, while you're being content, you, you also pursue and you actively pursue if that's what you're looking for. Right. So not just sit around and just passively hope something's going to drop into your lap, but, but work on yourself and also pursue leads. Just yeah, totally. make connections, make friends, go after it. That's great advice. Oh gosh, like you should, yeah, people, people should be on, you know, DT heart and soul on, on those websites on, on whatever they should be calling their friends in other cities going, Hey, do you have anybody that would, that's a single brother or single sister that, that you think I would be attracted to? Like, let's go. Like, let's that's move, right. You know? That's right. So anyway, that's my thoughts. No, that's good. And one thing that I see is sometimes people get hurt and then they just pull back and they don't, and they get kind of a crusty kind of like cynical attitude, like, Oh, DT heart and soul, that's not going to work. Or I've tried that. I've done this. And, you know, even though they may only be 27, 26 or whatever, 20, whatever they are, they, they're acting like they're in their seventies and that they've had a life of grief, you know? And it's like, you just got to keep trying. You got to push through it. Exactly. Yeah. I think we're on the same page in that. Uh, like DT heart and soul may not be the thing. That's, that's fine. Just go to the next thing. You that's know? right. Just, just try it all. Cast, yeah. cast your bread Keep on the waters. That. Now I'm really in, interested in this millennial initiative. Okay. You, you're 31. You're, you're square in the middle of the millennial. You're older than the generation Z. And I, if I'm correct, you said you've added 200 millennials to your church that you're a part of in the past several years. I go, that's just blow. I don't know anyone else who's doing it. Um, and I think this whole concept of, you know, reaching that is, you know, I've talked to different people and this whole age range millennials, um, it, it's like the lost generation. People refer to them as kind of the lost generation. No one's reaching them. People aren't reaching them in great numbers. I'm certainly interested in knowing what you're doing. Can you tell me about the millennial initiative? Yeah, certainly. So when we, when Cassandra and I got into the ministry, um, started working in the ministry, they were, um, we did not have a, a couple friend that was in our age group. Um, we, we didn't, ha- at least in, in our congregation, you know, we just, we just didn't have it. The old, the, the nearest people were, were young Gen Xers, uh, at the time Gen X and millennial weren't even a thing. We didn't talk about things like that, right. but, but, um, but we really didn't have anybody. There was a couple of campus students, but even the campus students, it was like, 
it was like they were like teens who were doing dual enrollment you know that whole thing and so um it was just barren i remember my wife crying out to god for friends Mm. going i just want to have friends in our church i just Mm. want to have friends in our church and um and so we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and started developing things and throughout the years of our ministry we we started kind of going all right how are we going to save our people what what's the message of jesus that's relevant i mean not relevant but that but that activates our generation what what does jesus say that would inspire a a, you know, at the time, a 25 year old guy and go, whoa, this is, this is it. Like, I want to be like Jesus. And so um, what we began to do was, was think through our generation and what, what message they like to hear. And, and I've read a ton of books on millennials more than I care to say, you know, (laughs) and, and uh, just started thinking through um, what our generation is all about. And, and we started beginning to, to realize that, man, some of the, the, the things that millennial people loved was to be, they loved inclusiveness. They, they loved um, collaboration. Um, they loved, they loved doing things together. Um, like they, they, the world had become digital and they still wanted to hang out and they still wanted to spend time with people and, and things that were very fun. They had disposable income. A lot of them did. And, and they just, they, they didn't, they wanted to spend it on something fun and mm. going out and things like that. And so we started building our ministry, um, for the needs of the people we were trying to serve. And so, um, by the time we began the millennial initiative, like really launched it, I think we had like 40 or 50 millennials in the church and we're like, all right, let's go. Let's keep growing. Let's keep growing. We had some people move in. And so uh, it's not 200 people baptized, but yeah, there's like, you know, we had some people move in and, and then we just saw a flood of people get baptized. It was like, it was like week after week after week, we'd see, you know, people who were young enter and then those guys get married. And, and then of course we really worked on campus ministry a bunch and young, on young singles. And, um, and we, we were just really trying to build a church that was attractive um, to people that were in my generation. Um, and, and that's, that's what we did. Yeah, I remember all these really fun events, you know, we did a cooking night, top chef night where a bunch of people came. We had like hot plates for people, you know, everyone was, it was like this incredible event at the time. I think we had like 20, um, millennials or no 30 millennials. And there was like 150 people there or something crazy. And we were like, Oh, this is so cool. And then we're trying to figure out how to make sure we get these people into Bible studies. And, and so it's, it's been really cool. And so now in our congregation, there are about 200, um, people that are millennial aged, um, and so it's been it's been pretty encouraging, and we continue to see people added to the kingdom uh, um, week after week. So you started with forty. Now you have two hundred in your church that are in that age range. And can you can you define what is a millennial in your mind? <laughs> totally. So uh, our a millennial for us was when we started was between the age of eighteen and thirty five. Anybody between the age of eighteen and thirty five that was that was the kind of the the age that age has begun to shift up obviously um and so now we're talking people between the age of 38 39 and um and 20 you know and 21 i guess okay where does generation z fit in there yeah so we are really thinking a lot about generation z and the way we think about generation z are our young campus students and our teenagers so um, I'm sure that's not exactly right, but um, we still have some tweeners in the campus ministry, some people who are just finishing up school who would kind of fall right in between those ages. Right. Who, um, but but that's that's kind of the way we, we look at it. But that's how you define it, and that's what, that's what matters. You just figure out the age range. So you're just saying between 20 and 38, and there's a lot of people in that range, obviously. Um, what, okay, what have you found? What are they looking for? Okay, people are going, hey, you know, it, apparently you found something that attracted them and they responded to the gospel. What'd you find besides cooking class? What, what's, what are they looking for? Yeah. So I think the gospel message that's the most, um, I would say, um, not, uh, the, the piece of Jesus that, that activates millennial people is something that, that is not necessarily. <clears throat> so, so we grew up in a, a postmodern world, right? Where, where John chapter eight, you look at the, the woman caught in adultery and the question was, well, she's, she's a sinner. And then also Jesus says, hey, look, your, your, your sins are forgiven. So it's don't judge in that text, right? Don't, don't judge like, hey, I didn't judge you. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna judge you. But then there's also like leave your life of sin. Like there's this combination of things that are happening, right. which in our postmodern world, the only thing that was being taught and the only thing that people listened to was the 
don't judge. So they, they, they got so wrapped up in this whole not judging thing that it became really hard to figure out, okay, how do I actually look at my life and go, wow, I'm bad. I have sin in my life. Mm-hmm. I have wrongdoing that, that I really need to deal with. And many of the, I would call like the kind of popular evangelical churches um, that these people were thinking about attending or thinking about going to never talked about the real issue of sin. And so it seemed a little bit like it was ugh, like, I don't like, like they, how do I explain this? So they heard a message that didn't seem authentic, that didn't seem true because it's not all about blue skies and rainbows and sunbeams from heaven. There is real issues, you know? And so they just weren't, they weren't hearing that. And then when that's one thing, right? And then the other thing is that their parents were all about, you're a sinner, go sin no more. And they'd never heard look, I don't judge you. That element was missing. So what we wanted to bring was a truth and grace message. Wow. We wanted to bring a truth and grace message to, to our people and go, okay, Jesus was both. He was 100% truth and 100% grace. He wasn't, you know, sometimes grace and sometimes truth and, you know, and, and whatever it fits him, he was always graceful and always truthful. And so what we started to begin to do is really teach a message of grace and truth. So when we talk about sin, we're not just saying you're an evil man, you're going to hell, but we're going to say, Hey, look, God doesn't want you to sin because it ruins your life. Right. And God wants your life to be full. Like, don't you like that? God wants from your life what you want from your life. Right. Like he wants that, but, but you are really hurting your life by living in sin here. And it's not God's going to kill you, but it's your sin is killing you. And that little bit of a shift, um, I think became very attractive, um, to, to our, our people. The other thing is that we started doing church in a little bit more, I would call it, I don't know, for lack of a better word, relevant way, um, using more multimedia, spending a lot of t- money and, um, and uh, resources on on social media as an outreach mechanism. Um, our services started using more contemporary music and things like that. And I think all of those things began to play into what um, what was able to happen in, in Broward. Okay, now that's that's really interesting. Um, it's grown. What I what I hear you saying is more relevant. You're, you're trying to get both sides. Jesus is both truth and grace, and that's the message he he delivered. Did you just like stumble on that all of a sudden, or did that take some experimentation? Like, did just all of a sudden, you just, did you just wake up one morning and go, okay, I know exactly what I'm going to teach? Or was this like, hey, let's try this this week? Because I think there's yeah. some people like going, oh my gosh, do I, do I just do a lesson on John 8, and all of a sudden I've got a millennial <laughs> ministry? I mean, you know. What, how, what can you explain that? How long did this take? The kind of process it took. You said you took over in 2016. That's when you started leading the church. So, I, here's here's something that um, well, something I once heard that I, that I think is really relevant is that vision is dug from the ground, doesn't fall from heaven. Mm. Uh, that it that's that's dug up. You really need to work on it. It's like oh, you know. And I and I and I feel like in many ways. Um, this was dug from the ground. It took a lot of prayer, a lot of consideration, a lot of experimentation. Um, we went into, uh, I, I also think that our church needed to change. Um, that, that at least where I was, we were, um, and man, our disciples are amazing. And the older disciples are just absolutely incredible. And I would do, man, I, I would start a church with our 65 year old people any day of the week. Like, right. let's go just me and you. Let's, let's, let's <laughs> make it they're amazing. They're incredible. Um, but I think there was a fabric of the church that felt like telling people, look, I know you're walking into the building today and you're, you, you went through an abortion and I want you to know God loves you was weak. Like they felt like that was just not the message. What they wanted to hear was, look, you did this and it's evil. And mm-hmm. I think millennials are just so like turned off by that, mm-hmm. by that whole thing. They just, for whatever reason, they just needed to first realize that, that, that God's grace was going to, going to catch them. Mm-hmm. It was like a bridge, you know, and if mm-hmm. they fell off the bridge, the grace was going to catch them. It was okay. And, wow. and so what yeah. needed to happen was a transformation in our church. And, and we, we began to transform the church before we got the millennials. And when the millennials came in, then they began to land in a place that they felt like was really useful. Okay. So 
Let's let's go back a on the timeline. So, did you just start this in 2016, or is this something you've been working on prior to that? No, yeah. How, we, how long has we, this been going on? So the 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 evangelist before me, who is a great friend of mine, Marcus Overstreet, uh, Marcus and Amy, they they now lead a, um, a region in Orlando. Um, they they had a desire to help millennials grow. They they wanted to figure it out, but they really left it to my wife and I to kind of be project managers. Okay. Um, so so I'd say I'd say it began with them. So that's about a year and a half before they left. So we've been doing this really for the last six years or so. Okay, so uh, it's been- Maybe, maybe about that time. Yeah, I would say about that time, maybe a little less than that. Okay. And did Sam, Lang, did, did Sam Lang used to lead this church? No, Sam Lang was in Palm Beach. Oh, a different, okay. okay yeah, great. so so John and Barbara Porter led the three regions. Sam Lang like oversaw the three regions. Sam Lang led the Palm Beach group with Ralph Ojeda, who is still there. And then the South group was led by James and Kim Campbell and um, John Reyes. Okay. Okay. Great. Now, how, how big is your church now, the overall church that you lead? So on Sunday mornings before COVID, um, we were, <laughs> uh, we were just about, um, we were just about hitting 700 um, um, in the auditorium. Um, so we had, then we had kingdom kids and volunteers and all the other things. So, um, our book, I think we are a total of 600. That's disciples, That's disciples, six, 600 six, disciples in the church, okay. 700 people in the auditorium on a Sunday morning, plus our kingdom kids, which is, I would say with all the kids, plus the adults, it's like another, I don't know, 150, 100 yeah. something. Like that. That's a big church. That's a really yeah. big church. Must've been quite a bit for you to step in, tackle that big of a church. It was a, I really didn't want to do it. <laughs> I, was, I felt like I was a better number two than number one for sure. Um, but um, yeah, I, I felt like, I felt like maybe there were some things that God had given me that, that could be useful. Okay. When you, when you mentioned that, like you, in our talks beforehand, you said that you were musical and that you've, you're interested. Can you just talk about some of the gifts that you have that have kind of played into this? Yeah, when when I was first brought on staff, I was brought on staff in the youth and family ministry. And when I did the youth and family ministry and the campus ministry, I also led the music on Sunday mornings. So that's another thing, you know, I had to try to, uh, our church was founded in 1972. Wow. So yeah, like, so we crossroads people came in and kind of revamped us, I guess. And then we were reconstructed in the early eighties, I believe maybe it was in the nineties. I don't remember. Um, but, but, um, was that, they, did that, was that with Bruce Williams? That is right. Yeah. Bruce Williams was actually built the building that we're still in right now. Oh my gosh. That's great. He's, he's uh, my discipling partner. He disciples oh, me. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. yeah Bruce built the building. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we, we, um, man, I forgot your question. I'm sorry. I was just talking about how, how do your talents and abilities oh, yeah. play into this millennial initiative? So I did. So when I was leading the teens on the campus, I would do the music. So I would do the music on the side and trying to, I was saying our, our church is older, I remember. Um, and so we, for the first year I led the music, all I led was acapella singing. And I did it because I wanted to make sure I had a dream that I would bring a more modern feel into the church. But I, but I wanted to make sure that the, the membership knew that I really respected the music that we sing, like that I, that I loved it, that I wasn't going to go in and, and go, all this stuff needs to burn up, you know, and, and, <laughs> and you know, let's light our songbooks on fire and a big bonfire, you know, like I, I want to make sure that church knew that I really did respect the music that we sung, um, that it was, that it moved my heart just as much as it moved theirs. Um, but if our goal was to reach more people, then we needed to continue to adjust. And so, um, so I, I, um, I basically led the music all acapella for, I think a year and a half or so. And then I started bringing my guitar in, started playing some, some music and, and kind of adding some things in. And, and then eventually, um, when I was, when I was asked to lead the church, I said, my first hire is going to be a music guy. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so we hired, we actually hired someone to, just to do music. So I play guitar, I play piano, I play a little bit of everything. I sing, um, even to this day, like if I'm not preaching on a Sunday, I'll jump in, I'll lead some songs just for fun. Um, for awesome. the good old days. Um, we write a lot of music now. That's a new thing that we're starting here in Broward. Wow. Is we're trying to write some songs and um, you can check us out. Yeah, BrowardChurch.org um, or if you go on, on YouTube, you can see some of our music, Broward Church. Um, but yeah, we, we, uh, we're trying to be a little bit more 
um, artsy. We think that 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 allows that music has such a um, great reach um, that many of the churches that we know in our world, Hillsong, Elevation, all we know we know them because of how great their music is. And so we're, we're trying to strategically write music, not only for our fellowship, but also for consumption from non-Christians so that maybe they'd be drawn to our message. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about music. Um, it, it's such a contentious issue. You know, we've got disciples in our church that converted in the 80s and before and, you know, th- there's a standard play playlist of, of songs from that era. You know, there was a Red Book, and there's, you know, songs at 728B. You could still remember the, the numbers of, you know. Purple Book and then the Yellow Book, or whatever, the Good Book. <laughs> and so, you know, when those songs aren't sung, for, for many people, it's like they haven't really worshipped because they haven't heard the songs that they grew up on. Um, did, you must have run into resistance. Like, what did you do? What, how did people, how'd you overcome the resistance? And also, do you do like multiple services? Do you, you know, do you have like a, a, a millennial service and then you've got the, the fogey service? I mean, what are you doing? So we are trying our hardest, um, to remind the brothers and sisters, um, that though Sunday morning is an incredible time of celebration, that it's not only for them. We have a catchphrase in our church. It's called a church, not for ourselves. Mm. Um, that we, we got this from this, um, uh, John Piper, uh, wrote a book and uh, not John Piper. I'm sorry. Um, the guy from New York city, what's his name? Um, Timothy Keller, Tim Keller. Yeah. Yeah. He wrote a, a book called circle church. And one of the chapters it's called a church, not for ourselves. And, we got this line from him and we think about like the point of our congregation is to reach more people is to be for our community. And so um, we have some around us, we have some of the largest churches in America right here in Broward County. Um, Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale has 20,000 members. Wow. Um, there's, a, there's a congregation called Potential Church that has like 9,000 members. Right across the street from us, another congregation has over 5,000 members. And so you can't even... You know, if they're going from that church to our church, they 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 won't even listen to the sermon if they can't get because the, they 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 won't even be able to get past just the music. They just mm-hmm. they just don't because it means a lot to them. Mm-hmm. Music means a lot for so many people. Oh, so time. we had to help our disciples go. Look, uh, your style the style may not be your genre, but the words are your genre, mm-hmm. right? When we sing when we sing um, a song like in I don't know um, in Christ alone which is a newer song. We go, uh, what, what's not to like about those words? Right. What's not right. to worship about those words, you know? Right. So, so we had to help our congregation remember that this is not for us, that it is for the people we're trying to reach out to. Mm. Um, and that was a hard transition. Um, we, we got, I got a lot of pushback. I remember conversations where it's like, you're trying to be Hillsong and you're trying to do this. And, mm. and I needed to, at that time, I was not courageous enough to just go, you know, we, okay, God, like, let's do this. Uh, I felt very much the pressure to, to, um, to move in a different direction. But, but after speaking to a lot of people and after getting some really good counsel, they said, look, we're going in the right direction. We're trying things. We're trying to grow. We, we have a permission giving structure. We're allowing people to try stuff and we really do. And Mm -hmm. so we pursued it and we're like, we're going to do it. And now to like now, after all of this, we have people coming to me like my, you know, seventy-five-year-old ladies. My favorite song is this new song, <laughs> just came out with, you know, or whatever. That's like the I love Waymaker, you know, I just love it, and I'm like, yeah. And we continue to to do some of the older songs and throw them in there, doing acapella things every once in a while, or, um, but but we we definitely do not do separate services. We we want the church to be together, and we think what the older folks have for us is is something that is incredibly valuable. And we do not want to lose them just because of stylistic, uh, you know, stylistic preferences. Okay. So what advice would you give to someone who's leading a ministry and they're like, well, I want to make both people happy. So I'm going to kind of pepper in a little of the old songs with some of the new songs. And we're going to kind of have a, a hybrid. I like hybrids as long as they make musical sense. I, I think a lot of what we're supposed to do right now is give the responsibility to the people who know what they're doing. Um, and allow them to to really run with it um, and not micromanage them too much. So so if someone has a really good way of making hybrid songs sound really good, then awesome. If someone if someone wants to do contemporary stuff because you, that's the 
that's the skill set of the group, then that's great. If I, I think as long as we are considering our membership, I'm sorry, we're only considering the visitor because the visitor has no voice in the church leadership. That's right. Like when does the visitor ever stand up and go, I want, they, they just don't. So, <laughs> so, so I have to be the voice for the visitor. Right. Um, and so as long as there's a sense that the visitor has a voice in the middle of this, I think that's good. I like hybrid services. We don't do hybrid services too much. Um, we do one traditional song a week and we throw it into a place that makes sense. Mm. Um, we don't do it just, we're not pandering. Um, we're, we're doing it in a way that makes sense. That makes sense. Some, I was talking to someone about this interview and, and trying to get to know you a little bit better. And, and they shared uh, kind of an anecdote that said that you um, talked to the elders and said, hey, listen, I'm going to focus on my Sunday service. You guys focus on the pastoring part of the ministry, Wednesdays and stuff like that. I'm just going to concentrate on Sundays. Um, that's about all I heard, but it sounds like you're setting up some boundaries in your ministry. Can you, ex can you expand on that? Yeah, I don't think it went exactly like that, but that's, that's the outcome. We, uh, when I walked into the ministry, being a young guy, being in my 20s, um, and a congregation that still has a significant number of people in their 60s, um, the, the thought was, how do we protect him? from some of those things. And, and so I said, Hey, I know how you can protect me. You know, the way you could protect me is we can, we can really let me focus on what I'm good at because many times evangelists are elevated to the point where they just are, are incapable of doing their job. Right. And um, my role, what I'm good at is I'm good at dreaming. I'm good at raising up young leaders. I'm, I'm good at uh, creative things. These are the things I'm really good at. Um, I am not super good at, um, sitting down and discipling marriages, though I though I will do them for for people I'm discipling, but but I don't want to take away um, the things I'm good at so that I can focus on the things I'm not so good at. Um, and so what I what I basically asked them to do was if we one of the hires that we made was a community group director, which basically means a community group is like a Bible talk. Um, it's a Bible talk leader of the Bible talk leaders leader, you know, like, mm -hmm. so instead of it being the evangelist, which normally happens, you know, it's kind of like you run the marriage ministry, you run the teens. It's like eight separate churches. We're not doing that. So basically there's one guy that's in charge of the leaders of all of the small groups. He's over them. So if they have an issue, they go to him. If they, you know, he's really in charge of that group growing. He's a small group director, um, which is for the campus. He's in charge of them for the, for the singles, he's in charge of them. You know, he's, he's the guy. And then he has some zone leader type people that are, that are um, but he's one of the elders. Um, the other elders really focus, one of them focuses on youth and family. One of them kind of oversees everything. One of them really works on the financials. Um, and that allows me to, at a meeting, to when we have our core group meetings, which is the elders and, and myself, um, to listen to some of the marriage issues, um, give some thoughts, but really just yield to them. And just go, hey, why don't we take care of that in the way that you're deciding? And I can really focus in on Sunday services, which is what brings the visitors. I could really focus in on young leaders. Mm -hmm. I, I could really focus in on what I'm what I'm what I'm good at. Our our family of churches has a history of tension between the evangelists and the elders. And I'm sure we're not the only family of churches that that probably wrestles with this issue. And in fact, in the 70s and 80s, that was a big, big issue where um, you had a young evangelist and then an older, more mature eldership, and it caused a lot of church splits and things like that. How do you, how do you keep the unity? How do you keep, uh, keep the church growing and, and keep the sense of family? My, I'm, uh, I'm pleased to announce that I have no issues and no tension with my elders. Like, I love my eldership. I, I don't know how I could do half what I do without them. They are just incredible. Shout out to Joe and to Tom and to Carlos and to Monte and, and, and uh, did I miss anybody? Joe, John, Tom, Monte, Carlos. Yeah, that's five of them. Um, yeah, like they're just amazing. They're, they're amazing. And so I think it's more of a credit to them than it is to me um, that we are able to stay unified. John Brush has been around for a long time. <laughs> lots of church splits and I think has realized that his role is valuable and my role is valuable and we yield to one another on the areas that we need to yield to one another on. And I, I just think there's something really, really powerful about that. And, um, and so we've had no issues. Um, I, I mean that with like total honesty, we've had no issues. Wow. Okay. That that's, that's good. Great to hear. 
and pray that it stays that way going forward. Yeah, yeah sorry. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, what we got coronavirus. Okay. Thought it'd just be like a month or two, but here we are. This is being recorded end of June and we oh, are still, God. I mean, in Arizona, it's gotten worse. I uh, just heard that the beds in, in Arizona or Phoenix, two hours away are full. They're sending people down to where we live in Tucson. I mean, it's going crazy down right here and we're still hunkered down. People are, you know, we're still not meeting together in, in large groups. What are you doing, doing differently during coronavirus? You have this huge congregation and it sounds like it depends a lot on a powerful multimedia program and music. What are you doing now? Yeah, I think that's that's really our, our engine right now is a incredible group of disciples who love God and are passionate about the mission that we have um, set before them. We've worked really hard on instilling in them the vision that we have that the, it only succeeds if we all succeed. Um, and so everybody is on board with what we what we are doing, and I think that's that's really important. So that's the first layer is that we had such a passionate um, evangelistic. Uh, church, um, and and we've had weekly baptisms since the coronavirus. You wow, know, every single great. week people are being baptized. So, um, but we what we're at right now is we are um, we are really focusing heavy on building an online church. We want to be native to the platforms that we're on. Um, we talk about this a lot, but just like you, when you send someone to Ecuador, you want them be, to be a native Spanish speaker, or you want them to at least get to a place where they become a native Spanish speaker. Um, you want them to be native to the culture. That's what we're hoping to do when we build online churches. So um, our hope is to, or our goal is to build an online church in, within the framework of Broward Church. So um, Broward Church will have Broward Church plus Broward Online Church, you know, and, and it's almost like its own separate entity, um, but we want to be native to the platform. We actually had a... Um, a conversion of, of somebody that was that we that didn't doesn't live here that lives elsewhere who's been watching all of our services studying the Bible online they had to go drive up to go baptize him which was so cool wow. um, but these are the types of things we're really we're really trying to be native to the platform and so um, yeah we're working on a lot of music on our own technology on, on making sure that our, our preaching um, has things where we ask people to write things in the chat, you know, like things that, that are in, engage into the online culture and also work a little bit with the algorithms of YouTube, of um, Facebook, of Instagram and so on. Okay. Now I want to just kind of drill down on this one because there's, you know, small church leader like myself, uh, we've got about 135 members Awesome. And, and there's other churches that are even smaller than that. They're like, oh, wow, you know, Tony, he's, he's young. He's grown up in this environment. He's naturally talented with music and with, with computers, and, and he's got a lot of resources. Where would a person start that has more of a limited staff and is like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Need to go online, need to become more fluent in that. Where do you start? Give, give, me, give me five practicals that I could start doing tomorrow. Yeah, the first thing is that you have to pick the people that are that are really good with that platform. Okay. There are some people in your congregation who are incredible at Instagram. They may have a thousand followers, and they're just normal people. Um, they know what they're doing. They and so it used to be. So what what I try to think is 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 they are spiritually mature, and then creatively capable. Like that's kind of the thought. It's like, like I want them to be spiritually mature. Okay, great. And if they're creatively capable, they are, they are the people we want to select. And, and so here's the thing, like our, our main videographer on staff is a, a single sister. How many opportunities do single sisters have to be on staff? Um, like our main social media person is a single sister wow. uh, like and she's on staff. So you don't have, they don't have to be on staff, but, but you want to identify the people who are really good at the thing that you're trying to go towards. Don't go, my youth and family minister can, can do it. I'll, I'll let them figure it out. It's just going to take <laughs> way too much work for them to figure it out. You know, find the guys who are really good at it and then allow them to come to you and go, hey, this is what I propose. Okay. I propose you do X, Y, and Z. And, and you'll get some really, really good information. You'll get some, you'll, I think in many ways you'll be blown away. Um, so that would be the first thing is identify the people in your congregation who are really good at it. The second thing is give them a budget they need to have some money to spend. Um, right now, I know there's not a lot of money, but but a little bit of money online can go a long way. So even if it's $100 a month that you can give them, 
um, give them a little bit of a budget. It's going to be super helpful for them to get their job done. And then thirdly, I would say with you or with the ministry leader, come up with a, um, a personality profile for what you hope the brand would look like online. Mm. So what do you want to be like? You can be, we call it the meme church, which is a church that just puts a bunch of memes up there. And I guess <laughs> you go, okay, cool. You can be the social justice warrior church if you want you know? <laughs> I go in that direction. You can be the way intellectual church. You can be the, you know, you can, you want to figure out who you are. You can be the celebrity church where the pastor or the preacher or the minister is the only person that gets on the Instagram, but you want to identify what type of congregation you want to be and then let go and let those people run. They're going to do much better if you just let them go. That's not five, that's four, but there you go. That's super, super helpful. Thank you. That's great. It's interesting. Recently, we were, um, there's this younger Christian named Michaela in our church, and uh, she was baptized, and that couldn't be more than a year ago. But we were just watching an Instagram video of her painting her Bible in, in time lapse, you know, and we're like, oh, that's so cool on Instagram. Well, she's got a ton of followers. And then it, it just t- turned out like, hey, we got to get her on our social media team. And and guess what? She she jumped on and in less than a week. She had we had, had a uh, Instagram page for our church. And I mean, she's just like nailing it. In fact, I've asked her to kind of coordinate between all the different groups Two weeks ago, not even part of it, but all of a sudden she's like indispensable. So I, I totally agree. I Same like that. Kayla or Kayla? What's that? Michaela or Kayla? Michaela. 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 Yeah, there there are Michaela's in every church. <laughs> there are Michaela's in every church. We just had to find them. Yeah. And they are, they are dying for an opportunity. <laughs> They, they've been going to service going, oh, like, like feeling right. like, man, I could help here. And so give them an opportunity, send out a, 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 a you know, some so, smoke signals saying we need some help and they will come rushing in and, and really do some really cool things. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really true. Spiritually mature and creatively capable. Great, great components there. Now, I think one of the things that um, I'm, I'm interested in one of my, our goals this year is build a great singles ministry and a great men's ministry. What are you doing? How, how can, what advice would you give to me to build a great singles ministry that, that attracts guys? You know, I, I just think about, we got a bunch of great sisters. Our church is about 55, 45 women versus men. Um, but you know, I think about the sisters, I go, man, I want I want them to be able to just meet awesome dudes in church you know, and not be tempted by those outside. What, what can you tell, how can you help me with that? You know, I, I think this is a hard question. Um, maybe you can help me uh, because we need some help in this area. Also, we've, we've baptized um, a, a bunch of uh, millennial men, um, but we've baptized many more millennial women. Um, I think that um, there's a book called Why Men Hate Going to Church. I, I don't think you need to take a hand over fist in terms of what it, what it all says, but I think it's, it's good. Uh, it's a good resource. There's a study that I saw that said that if you convert a dad, um, you can, I, I don't remember the number. It's like 90% of the time you convert the rest of the family while you, mm-hmm. well, is if you convert the mom, you convert the family 17% of the time or something crazy like that. Um, so, um, that's not the exact stat, but you get the point. Like, um, we need to continue to reach men. We, in our congregation, we started a podcast, a men's podcast, um, that we think will be a little bit more helpful. We've realized that um, Instagram audience is primarily female, but YouTube audience is primarily male. So mm-hmm. we're investing a little bit more on YouTube than we are in um, Instagram. Um, and so these are little things that we are doing. Um, in terms of a singles ministry, I'm sure your dynamic and our dynamic are similar in that you have so many different generations trying to figure out how to be singles together. Um, and and we've we've gone pretty um, we've been pretty tireless. We've we've worked pretty tirelessly to to try to figure out how do we mesh them all perfectly and right. make them all fit in. And and what we've learned is that it's okay for. Um, for the role of the older singles and the role of the younger singles within one ministry to be to be radically different. Right. That it's, it's okay that that if we have a, a, a prayer night with all of our singles, we, that doesn't mean that all the singles need to come. Like maybe it's just this, a handful. And we have very much a structure that allows people to find their their space in it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that when you're a single singles leader, you have to remember that what we're talking about are these are adults 
who have lived for a long time, who, who have gone through life, they're disciples, they know what they're doing. And so we, we can give them a little bit of room to breathe. Yeah. Um, I think so often we're trying to make everybody do exactly the same thing. And it just is not as successful as allowing people to find their niche and giving a loose structure and allowing people to find their place in it. Well, that's good. I found like in, in our ministry, what what's happens is like, we've got our younger minute, younger singles, 20, let's say 20 to 40. And then you've got 40 plus that we call our super singles and the 40 plus a lot of those are guys. They're single guys. And then for the under 40, mostly women. So it just doesn't match up. So there's like a mismatch Yeah. and trying to find, you know, trying to solve that is, is our, is our challenge and we're going to do it through God's power. But, um, you know, some definitely get pray about, um, you can send your super singles to our <laughs> Okay, yeah, but, a bunch of awesome, awesome older single women. Oh my gosh, we've got some great guys, you know, older guys that are mature. I'll tell them to, to move to Florida. No, no right. problem. Or vice versa. There you go. Now, what would, what advice would you give, Tony? I mean, this has been such a great interview, so interesting, and there's so much more to, to talk about. But what advice would you give to someone who wants to make a difference in their, in their life. And, and they go, man, I want to make a difference. I, I want this life to count. I, I want to live a no regrets life. I don't want to look back and go, man, I just wasted my life. You know, what advice would you give to that person? I would say um, you are in the parable of the talents. Jesus gives, gives something to everyone. <laughs> That's, that's sort of the sense, right? He gives something to everybody. So you have something. If you're listening and, and you're like, oh, I don't have anything. You're, it's a lie from Satan. You have something. Right. You have something to give. And it's, it's something that will make a profound impact on the world. The key is to do something with what you've been given. That's mm-hmm. the whole key. And so what I would suggest is that you do something. Like you're, you're a talented artist do something with it. Right. You know, you're, you're a talented musician, do something with it. You're a talented speaker, you're a talented administration, you're whatever. Maybe you don't even know your talents. Ask some people around you to figure out what your talents are and then do something with it. It's so simple, but I, but I think it's something that we're often missing. We're, we're trying, we're all trying to become podcasters. You know, we're all trying to, because we're like, wow, that's really great. Like I want to be a YouTuber. I want to be a, like, but we're not all made to be YouTubers. We're not all right. made to be podcasters. We're not right. all made to do those, to be basketball players or whatever. We're, we, we have some thing in us. And, and I think being able to do something with what you've been given um, is, is, is what it takes. I, I have realized that in my life, I have to have a Romans 12 mindset, which is uh, I look at myself with sober judgment. I go, okay, what am I good at? What can I give to this world? What can I make my world? How can I make my world 1% better? How, what can I do to change up the course of someone else's life. And I have some skills and I have some abilities. I have a sphere of influence. And right. so I think you have to identify those things first. And then once you do it, you have to, once you identify it, you have to do something with what you know God has given you. And I know that sounds, it's not way, way, way practical, but but if you could just get to a place where you figured out what you do, you'll, you'll be in really good shape. Well, I think that's very powerful for the following reason. Oftentimes we've, we've got this talent, but it's not valued by the people around us, but mm. it's, it's something that we find interesting. And oftentimes it's something that we were doing as a kid or we were into as a kid and maybe we buried it because it's not something that's currently popular. But we, I feel like, you know, what you're saying there is that give yourself permission to pull that thing back out of the closet and, and, revamp it and use it for God's glory because you just don't know how that talent is going to be used. You know, God, man, this is so important. I'm sorry that there's our, our congregations, I think in some ways, um, we, we had an ideal and, um, and that ideal was, you know, whatever, but that was the ideal. And if you missed the ideal, even though we talked about the fact that you were still valuable, you, you felt Mm -hmm. disvalued. Right. You felt like you weren't what you ought to be. You felt like you missed an opportunity. If you didn't go in the ministry, working on campus, you didn't baptize, you, know, you didn't reach out to a thousand people a week. It felt like I missed something. I, I, I failed my relationship with God. Right. And I think we have just, we need to have a paradigm shift where we go, okay, wow, 
the brother or sister that has something that's been buried for a long time that's in the closet, you know, needs to needs to go, okay, I can pull that out because something there for the glory of God will be will will be done. Right. Because God's amazing and, and can use incredible things. And so we are just I think a lot of that is going to require our leaders in our congregation to be a little bit more okay with being a little bit more flexible. Right. I totally agree. And and what's so awesome about the wisdom of God is how he creates the body that way. I mean, 1 mm-hmm. Corinthians 12 talks about that specifically about how, you know, one body, many parts, and we many people are super talented, but they've got this particular skill set or talent that they don't realize, hey, God put that in their life. Yep, totally. And, and so I think that's really, really good. And I hope that, you know, your words encourage them to utilize that and value it. Uh, Tony, thanks for the time. Any final thoughts? Anything that... No, this has been this has been a joy. Um, thank you so much for inviting me on. And, and I'm super thankful for all of you who are listening and um, subscribe. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> thank you. And I think for, for many people, like, they're feeling like, wow, I want to be like that. I want friends around me. And it's pretty inspiring how you just had that felt need, like we need friends our own age. And all of a sudden you grew that ministry from 40 to about 200 friends around you. And it can happen in any church. And certainly uh, we're going to work on it in our church. So thank you for the time. I want to thank you for listening today to the Rob Skinner podcast. My goal is to inspire you to make this life count, to live a no regrets life, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. If you enjoyed the program, I'd like to ask you to share it with your friends and subscribe to the podcast. Have a great day and make this life count.